The Curious About Cannabis podcast is produced by Natural Learning Enterprises, a mission-driven company dedicated to enhancing critical thinking skills and public scientific literacy about life in the natural world. If you like Curious About Cannabis, consider checking out some of these other learning initiatives by Natural Learning Enterprises. Come on, Molly! It'll be an adventure! Phoebe called out as she followed Brother Toadstool. Brother Toadstool led Phoebe and Molly into a tunnel that went deep down into the ground. As they climbed into the tunnel, they found themselves getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Our new children's book, A Toadstool's Treasures, takes young readers on an adventure into the fun and fascinating world of fungi. Learn more and find mycology-related learning resources, games, and lesson plans for teachers and homeschooling families at toadstoolstreasures.com. Biodiversity loss due to habitat loss and fragmentation is rapidly increasing around the world with devastating consequences. Learn how you can help contribute to native habitat corridors in your community and reconnect with your wild neighbors at gardenwild.org. Oregon recently became the first state in the United States to legalize the medical use of psilocybin. As cities all over the country begin to decriminalize the use of entheogenic plants and fungi, it's time to have a serious discussion about psychedelics. The Serious About Psychedelics limited series podcast is coming soon. Learn more at SeriousAboutPsychedelics.com. You can learn more about Natural Learning Enterprises at naturaledu.com. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. So today, I am delighted to be rejoined once again with Murphy Murray. And we are going to continue our original conversation. We talked last time a lot about sort of primary extraction techniques. And with this uh, conversation, we really wanted to focus on um, extract refinement, and I'm sure we'll spin off into all sorts of directions. But Murphy, thanks so much for being willing to come back on the podcast. Of course, always, always happy to be here. We have we have good conversations on, on and off the air. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's um, I think something I, I said recently in an interview, but it's it's pretty cool doing the podcast. The community you discover um, of people that are you know doing similar work, you know, like minded in the sense of like trying to figure this stuff out, trying to educate people, trying to understand the science and, and communicate all of that. And uh, yeah, so we have had some really good discussions. And this one particularly, I think, is one reason why I wanted to talk about extract refinement, other than the fact that we didn't really cover it in depth last time, is uh, the concept, the topic of CRC has become very controversial. Um, yep. It's been around a while, long time. Um, but it seems like very recently, I'm starting to see a lot of memes and stuff come about uh, on social media of people um, either criticizing it or defending it. Um, so it, to kind of just jump straight into things, one thing I immediately wanted to ask you about is, can you explain to our listeners a little bit of just what CRC is, what that stands for, and the different kind of forms it can take? And then we can kind of... Um, start to talk about uh, why people might have some problems with it. And um, we'll talk about quality and safety as we always do and, yeah. and just kind of <laughs> jump off from there. Definitely. So um, 
like anything new in cannabis, uh, CRC comes with its own made up name that uh, people in the cannabis industry developed uh, to use for its specific application within cannabis. So it stands for color remediation, column or cartridge generally. Um, and uh, that color remediation part of the phrase is the important part because that's where everyone gets really hung up. Um, and, and I say everyone, cause I mean, everyone, the scientific community is, <laughs> yeah. is going to criticize color as a remediation mm-hmm. target. And, um, and the, you know, the, uh, layman <laughs> is going to criticize that as well, because it's not a very clear, uh, oh, that's a good pun, right? Um, <laughs> it's not a very, it doesn't help. It doesn't help explain what it is. Yeah. Um, it just implies uh, remediation and remediation is a word that we don't like as consumers. We don't like hearing that because it implies that something was wrong to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about extraction is that, of course, something was wrong to begin with. If, if it was good enough as the weed, we would have just left it there. We wouldn't have needed to concentrate it down out of the plant. Um, the reason we extract anything is to get rid of some of it. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, there's yeah. always some that we've decided up front that we don't want that is not the target. And so with CRC or color remediation, what we've got is a bunch of people who have taken their existing method of extraction and their existing product quality, and they've wanted to improve upon it. And the reason for that improvement, um, the motivations behind it are often what causes a lot of the scrutiny um, in the same way that everyone was very critical of distillate. Um, for a very long time and even still today, to be honest, um, because it implies that we're taking something that isn't good as is and we're making it uh, look better without actually being better is kind of the, you know, the real frustration that people have is that if all we've done is change the appearance, then that's not quite uh, a good enough improvement. Um, however, changing the appearance can't happen without also changing the product in some way. And yeah. so in that regard, removing the color doesn't mean that we're removing the visible light spectrum refracting across that hash, you know, like the, you know, the presence of color is, you know, it's a physical trait based on the shape of a molecule and the light in the room and, you know, like the density of the air, like there's factors that have nothing to do with your hash, you know, like right. it doesn't there's- taste, doesn't smell <laughs> It's not a thing that you could touch in that way. Um, So to remediate it would be to like turn the lights off, right? Like it would be, you know, like it would be to just like get rid of light and then I don't have color. Right. Um, But but what people mean by that is to remove some of the most well-known compounds that are accompanied by pretty common colors. And so the first category of that is going to be, you know, things like anthocyanins, xanthophils, tannins. Um, you know, a lot of these like plant metabolites, these compounds within the plant that are not the, like the, oh, no, no's like chlorophyll that we just all agree. Like green is bad. Brown is bad. Mm -hmm. Um, some of these others put you in the like honey color, the copper Mm -hmm. color, the bright reds, um, the deep red, uh, somewhat pale pink sometimes, you know, um, then you have things like carotene where you get that like bright orange. Um, and so these are a lot of compounds that we know are in cannabis. We know are in other plants. And so we know about these compounds 
when we isolate them from other plants or when we use them within other plants, right? So like the tannins in wine is either great or terrible, depending on how you feel about your red wine, you know, like, right. and, and yeah. you know, or, you know, like it's, it's uh it's very much a preference in that way, but then at the same time we can study tannins and um, you know, we can look at the interactions that it has with your body and look at like, you know, how does, is this something that's going to contribute to you feeling more dehydrated when you drink this wine? Is this something yeah. that's going to contribute to a, a more wet mouthfeel or a more dry mouthfeel after you've um, tasted it, you know? And so those yeah. are things that, that do translate well to cannabis in the sense that like a lingering flavor after you exhale um, versus uh, a flavor that you only get right before you consume it almost, mm. um, you know, which is very much like the wine of like what you smell in the glass before you take a drink is just as important as what lingers on your breath afterwards. And they're different, right? They're different yeah. types of flavors, different types mm. of compounds contribute to that. And with cannabis, we have all of these compounds that we want to associate this really important value to. Like these are the active ingredients, right? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. You know, because they're either psychoactive or relevant to your experience in one way or another. So we've picked like certain terpenes that we think are good. You know, um, we haven't made a good list of terpenes that don't play a relevant role or that might be bad. Um, but, you know, then we've looked at things like canaflavin or like certain yeah. flavonoids, certain individual compounds. But we really pick and choose off of that board um, based on the evolution of our research and the demands of, you know, consumers and kind of just the trends in the way that we consume these products, too, you know. Um, and so... In that way, trying to remediate one or more of those compounds can give you wildly different results. So just removing anything that happens to reflect the color red mm -hmm. might not have a very significant impact on the way your product tastes. But if you remove everything that reflects the color yellow, it will for sure, mm. because you've got some compounds in there that are yellow that have a notable flavor. And these are flavors even more so than like terpenes or smells, right? Yeah, so these yep. are things that contribute to that like mouthfeel to what you experience on the exhale. And um, those are really interesting compounds because those tend to be what we look at when we're trying to capture like the experience of smoking the joint mm -hmm. in a dab, exactly. right? some of those compounds don't translate over either because we didn't extract them or we degraded them in the process or we filtered them out one way or another. So when people look at CRC, there's not one compound that we're saying is being removed. It's not like saying pesticide remediation where we're saying there's no pesticides now right. and everyone feels good about that. It's not like saying de-waxing where we're saying now there's not waxes. And so everyone feels good about that. We're saying a big mystery category that we have not identified nor quantified has been removed, maybe probably, can't be proven <laughs> because we can't identify or quantify these compounds. Um, and then what you end up with as a consumer is just a visual change that mm -hmm. represents any number of like actual physical changes in terms of what molecules were removed. Right. Um, and so when you look at a clear product, uh, that is going to indicate generally more isolation, not a single isolate necessarily, but a higher purity of whatever compounds are there. Right. 
And the whatever part is important, right? Because waxes can be white and chalky Mm -hmm. and dry. And that can be easily mistaken for um, ground up THCA powder, which appears chalky Mm -hmm. and dry, but is in fact a denser, more crystalline structure, right? And so that's, that's the difference between looking at sugar versus flour. Because if I take sugar and I grind it up into powdered sugar, yeah. Now I'm looking at powdered sugar and flour, and it's a little harder to tell the two apart. You can, but you got to get in there, right? Um, you got to be familiar with that product already. And so for the average consumer, a scoop of dry wax is going to look almost the same as a scoop of dry THCA. However, the experience is going to be wildly different, and the flavor is going to be wildly different. And so um, losing the color um, gives people a kind of a blind taste test experience where they don't get to see it anymore. It's kind of like what happens when, um, soft drinks are put into non-clear plastic. Oh yeah. yeah. So if you don't see the bright green of Mountain Dew, when you drink it, it doesn't taste the same. Yeah. There's something about that association, right? So that's why like anyone can make a knockoff cola and you can kind of get used to it because it all looks like cola. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Your brain's already shortcutting. Right. Yeah. Like like all of those different factors kind of play into what you remember about it. And that visual cue is an important one. And the visual cue is almost all you've ever had with concentrates. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the few things we do test are things like potency, um, you know, or contaminants. And so color remediation is all about uh, removing contaminants without necessarily having a good strong list of what those contaminants are. Um, yeah, yeah, and you, you bring up some really good points. I mean, one thing that I'm happy to hear you say, because it's something that I've also taught when covering extraction is that we tend to think of extraction as, you know, you're grabbing what you want, but it is simultaneously just as much about trying to leave behind or remove what you what you don't want you're ultimately honing in on some whatever fraction of the chemistry of that product right and you're trying to get rid of everything that's not that um and that i think that's that's something that for several years when i was in the industry i never really thought about it that way but when i did it really um cleared up sort of my perception on what's going on between all these extraction methods and all these refinement techniques um and yeah, I mean, I guess before I really spin out on on several <laughs> ideas, one thing that I'll ask you is I know that there are just like with everything, and especially when you get into this kind of like um, uh, column type of work, there are all sorts of like recipes for these sure. columns right. or cartridges. So can you speak a little bit to sort of the, um, the common components of... Um, of a color remediation column or a color remediation cartridge. I know they use various clays and things like that, but um, right. can you describe in general how they're usually similar and then how, how people kind of tweak them? Sure. Their, yeah. Know. So, so this particular method of um, this particular process is column based, which is an important yeah. feature of it, um, especially from that chemistry perspective, um, because it is all a variation of chromatography, mm-hmm. um, generally a solid phase yeah. chromatography. Yeah. And so exactly. the way that you apply that uh, is really important. And we've already established that the, you know, the goal of the process is unclear. 
Um, which within traditional chromatography would not really be acceptable. You usually are looking for one thing at a time if you're even looking for more than one thing when you're dealing um, with a batch inside of a column. Especially a customized column. I mean, you generally you would go through and try to characterize everything that's coming out of the other end of that column. So you understand like what's You'd getting retained exactly. where and when and yeah, exactly. Right. So if, if you look at it from that traditional chemistry type of formulation, uh, you know, you would, you would never do the things that we do in cannabis because in cannabis, we started with no testing. Mm-hmm. So we started by just extracting as much as we could off of the plant And the only category in our waste was what we didn't want, right? And then we started taking things out of that oil that we were extracting one at a time based on finding out that they were there. So we started drying our bubble hash to get the water out. You know, we started, uh, you know, storing it in uh, humidity controlled environments to keep the mold out. We started, um, you know, like doing uh, saline washes to get rid of like sugars, you know, like we started uh, de-waxing and winterizing to get rid of wax. Like we start just literally one product at a time and leaving most of it still there. Chemistry is generally the exact opposite. We would extract one thing out of that oil at a time, get all of it, purify it, have it right here. Nice little bottle. Go back in, get another thing out of it get all of it, purify it. And then we would have all of these individual things. We put them back together. That's not what we've done with cannabis. We've always had this backwards approach of just like whatever the plant gives me, mm-hmm. except for the things that I think I don't want after the fact. So the, the application of all of these different recipes is based on the information that people either think they have or just do not have with their batch. Um, All chromatography is about, you know, putting a sample in and separating it into major components. Um, And so when it's something like pesticides, we're going to use a column and we're going to use a media that is very appropriate based on its lack of compatibility with the solvent Mm -hmm. and its, you know, affinity to those particular pesticides to keep the pesticides in the column moving slowly and keep everything else in the solvent moving quickly. And so we choose our solid phase or that base, that media, the powder, uh, based on what we want to remove. And then similarly, we also choose a solvent based on what's going to work really well with that solid phase pairing. And so, you know, that whole chromatography theory is is a very uh, relationship-oriented theory. It is the media versus the solvent plus the oil. How do we do it? Um, and the CRC approach, we've already chosen our solvent. We're keeping it in the butane-propane combination we already extracted with. Right, right. So instead of having that variable that we choose with intention, we just say, here's our solvent, which is fine. Fixed. Yeah, yeah, that's fixed. That's what our liquid phase uh, you know, our, our mobile phase is going to be all about. And now we go in and we look at our solid phases, right? And so we, this is where things get really complicated because our chromatography media, things like silica, things like alumina, um, there's a million different kinds. There's, you know, there's like imprinted beads now um, that are targeted to an individual molecule, right? So that means that there's a different type of media or powder for literally every molecule individually. And then there's the media that are for more than one of those at a time <laughs> in every shape and size in, um, you know, lots of different levels of 
um, you know, purification or quality control. And so the differences in those media are really important based on their industrial applications, um, the type of uh, purification and quality control that you need on a product that is in the first phase of septic uh, water treatment is not the same as what I need at the final phase. I'm not going to use the most expensive stuff for both. That'd be crazy. This one has poop in it, you know? <laughs> so I would, I would only need the best stuff over here. Um, and so that, you know, that decision is made by knowing what's in my solution and yeah. knowing where I'm going to pull it out with our cannabis oil. We kind of don't always know what we're getting at. Mm -hmm. And the things we do know are mostly just based on what I see. Right? right. I'm usually not testing my oil until I've decided that it's ready for sale. Right. Which right. is hilarious because usually the test would be how you decide. Yeah. We do things differently around here <laughs> with, with cannabis. So, um, so because we don't see these in-process tests, um, what you have is people saying, okay, well, silica has affinity for water. Great. Anthocyanins great. It's going to stick to chlorophyll better uh, than my solvent is going to. Great. If there's salts or sugars in there, it's going to stick to those. Great. Um, but it's a limited affinity, right? It's still a gel. Um, my flow rate is going to be very fast through it. And so I can either do the world's tallest column. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the old which, school ones. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, which I'm not going to do because yeah. I'm in a C1D1 booth. So just like my yep. solvent being fixed, my volume is also fixed. There's only so yep. much that I can actually do. Um, and so people are also usually starting with something very small. The, you know, in addition to solvent being fixed, they're starting by saying, I only have this much space. I only have an itty bitty column and I need to process all of this oil through it. So we end up with these two controls and we're trying to make everything else fit. And yeah. so what people start doing is building a recipe based on other media and how it can pick up the slack. So like if silicas are universal chromatography media, pretty good at separating most things. And normally the way you'd influence it is I go a little wider with my column. I go a little longer with my column. I go a little slower with my flow rate, maybe, yep, exactly. um, you know, or I change my solvent, you know, like uh, normally the silica kind of stays the same. Um, but instead what we're doing is making everything else the same <laughs> and fitting a media mixture. And so what you'll do is you'll combine that silica with more bentonite clay. And so bentonite clay is silica and alumina and water, basically just, you yeah. know, um, this dry matter. And again, comes in a million different qualities, consistencies, mm -hmm. levels of, you know, purity and, um, you know, particle size, but bentonite clay can hold more water, um, and for longer than silica yeah. can. Right. And bentonite clay is also, um, supportive as just a sediment bed filtration method and sediment bed filtration works. Uh, the way that like a river filters water, essentially, yep. you know, yeah. like just that porous uh, pass through um, is going to trap large particles, even though some of the holes in that bed are larger than the smallest particles, the, the nature of the maze makes it hard for solids to get through. And so something like bentonite clay is going to be supportive to the silica because it can help absorb some of the water that the silica would not be able to withhold just based on how heavy that water is if I'm forcing 100 PSI of solvent Yeah, especially it. at that rate, yeah. Right. And so since I've decided I'm not going to change my solvent, and so yeah. I'm not going to change my flow rate, and I'm not going to change my column size, 
silica won't be strong enough by itself. So I throw some really fine clay in there with the silica and that clay is going to help absorb some of that water because (laughs) it's going to take it on a little bit more slowly, but it holds it. Um, It's not going to rinse out of the column the way that it would if it was just silica. Um, And then it's also going to create more density and more resistance. So even though I have the silica gel, now I have a tight packed solid column, um, which is actually going to slow down my flow rate. And so, you know, it's, it's the process still does follow all of, you know, the rules that, you know, govern chromatography and other applications. Um, But because it's all happening inside this itty bitty stainless steel column, we don't have to think about that or see it necessarily, Mm -hmm. because we're not we're not going to see bands separating necessarily in the same way. Um, And so some people will uh, introduce um, in addition to the bentonite clay and the silica, um, obviously people are using alumina as well. Um, alumina and silica basically interchangeable um, in that application. The biggest difference being, um, you know, that particle size. And mm-hmm. so if flow rate is what you want to consider, you know, um, having like a dry, hard packed bed versus a soft silica bed is, you know, is substantial and important. Um, there's also a cost difference depending on what you're buying, where you're buying it from. Um, people are also, uh, applying carbon. And so I've seen charcoal used. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so that one is a tricky one. I would always, uh, you know, recommend caution when it comes to, uh, you know, doing anything with carbon. Um, don't use it until you have to, <laughs> um, I would say with cannabis, cause it's one of the more expensive compounds and carbon, um, is often going to be pH treated for a specific application. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, your silica is just kind of a standard pH. Your bentonite clay is just kind of a standard pH. It might be neutralized, um, as like part of a quality control process, right. you know, as a guarantee, but like, also, if I just go get clay out of the earth, it's like kind of neutral too, you know? Um, so they're just guaranteeing it to me, but it has that existing standard range with something like carbon, you can get it, um, anywhere from like three to 12, you know, like you could have this wide variety of carbon and, and pH interferences. And so that, um, is an interesting twist on things because now you're um working within these already kind of weirdly defined structures of chromatography of the shape the size the flow rate the affinity um you know the controversy between the solvent and the solid phase and now you introduce this acid washed carbon which has some of that affinity has some of that sediment bed uh you know like fine particle uh filtration value um also has that pH influence, which can now be changing the pH within your column, which is another application standard in chromatography practices. You just never do all these things at the same time. Especially without measuring. Yeah, this would normally be many (laughs) columns and you choose which one based on like the, the guaranteed analytical data that you already studied carefully. Yeah. Um, and so to just shove all that inside one little mixture and then put oil, all your oil through it has unpredictable results as you yeah, might imagine. I mean, it's, it seems like the, the practical goal is to be able to, uh, shoot your, your extract and solvent through there and just hope that it comes out clear and that, right. you know, what you, whatever made it clear is all stuck in the column and you move on like that. That's really Ex- Nuts that's and bolts that's the hope. And sometimes that's what it looks like because 
um, you know, like this is still only the first part. This is still just column prep that we're talking about. This isn't right, even right. the run itself. This isn't even talking yeah, about yeah. how you wet it, the reservoirs, the other applications. This isn't even talking about um, how you collect your fractions, um, the way that you, you know, separate and, um, you know, kind of sanitize them from mm -hmm. each other. Uh, like all of these things influence that final output. And um, so there's a lot of people who do all of this work to build a really high quality targeted chromatography column and then they don't collect fractions and so the thing mm -hmm. about the column is that everything comes out it's just a straight line it's coming out <laughs> you know and so it's not a filter in the way that you know sediment bed or particle filtration mm -hmm. stops something and so if i have a bunch of large particles and i have a small filter then all the large particles will just keep piling up on each other. Mm -hmm. If I have a chromatography column, it's not permanent in that way. You know, right. I can slow introduce it down, but right. I can slow it down, but it will all come out. And mm -hmm. so your goal is to get the right distance in between these different compounds yeah. that you can collect them separately. And so you don't want that distance to be too long. That's going to waste your time. You're going to have all of these mm -hmm. fractions of nothing in between. Um, but you don't want it to be too close because then you can't collect them separately, except that it doesn't matter if they're too close. If the fractions we're talking about are terpenes and cannabinoids, maybe right. I can collect those together. Um, but if the fractions we're talking about are um, heavy cannabinoids and lead, mm -hmm. I don't want to collect those together. Yep. And so when we start introducing things like the clay and the carbon, which we know is actually sticking to some of these compounds in a little bit more permanent way than silica or alumina would in a regular chromatography column, we know that the media isn't rinsing completely clean anymore. So we do have a mass loss that is like, you know, relevant every time you run through it. Um, and so in that way, there is filtration involved that if I just run everything through the column, there will be a point where stuff stops coming out with my same solvent, pressure, temperature, parameters. And then I would have to change those parameters or change my solvent to be able to get the media to release whatever it's still holding on to. Because things like the clay will just kind of keep that water for a long time. Yeah. Um, and, and stuff that's highly soluble in water and some of... Some of the stinky, uh, you know, odors that come from degradation, um, mm -hmm. some of the like darker browns that are actually chlorophyll that's degraded, yeah. um, the type of stuff that you get from like old material, you know, some of those are really removed just by dehydrating your oil is how I would more accurately describe that mm -hmm. by just getting that water out. It's most of the stink, you know, water yeah. is a, a harbor for gross. Yes. So getting that out of your oil on its own. I mean, that's how we fixed bubble hash and rosin, right? It was just, just introduce the freeze dryer. And so you could think of using some of the CRC column as kind of a freeze drying process for your uh, butane oil, because the water's not soluble in your solution, but it's in there. Mm -hmm. And so we just want to get that out. And so just dehydrating can give you a pretty substantial improvement, some loss of mass um, and a better quality product without actually purifying anything else, right. um, you know? And so that would be a good example of just like known contaminant removal. Um, you could address that through a better extraction where you just got right. less of that water in the first place, 
But that might come at the compromise of a less efficient extraction, getting less right. of the total cannabinoids that are there. So you can you can do it when you extract by being targeted there, or you can do it when you filter by being targeted in the middle. Um, you know, th that's the beauty is that we do have these options. Um, but now when we want to get into the rest of the color aspect of it, because just removing yeah. a lot of that water is not really going to change a lot of the appearance. A lot of those anthocyanins, right. some of those pinks, um, and reds, like they're, they're going to come out, um, of that column. They will rinse free because they're big enough that, you know, if, unless you have a ton of clay in there, that's making it physically difficult for them to mobilize, they're going to rinse through. And what you've got to keep in mind is that if you do have that type of physical barrier, you might be obstructing other large compounds like your cannabinoids. You know, yeah. other um, compounds that maybe you do want. If you don't rinse enough, if you cut it off too early, you might be missing esters. Um, yeah. And so that's your fruity flavors. That's your banana. Right. You know, that's your like uh, the strawberry and the blueberry and stuff. That's not terpenes, um, yeah. you know. And so you've got to wait for those to come out of your column. They don't come out first. Yep. And so uh, what you end up with, with all these different recipes is um, different chromatography methods where the retention time is uh basically unknown mm -hmm. yeah. and then if you're not collecting it fractionally you have kind of no control over what things come out where mm -hmm. and so uh you know one of the best things about extraction is that you concentrate the good stuff one of the worst things about it is you concentrate the bad stuff and crc <laughs> will do both yeah. so i can with the right recipe with the right resistance and the right length depth pressure, flow rate, everything, I can put oil in and collect fractions in such a way that I have just clear terpenes over here. And I have just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, isolated cannabinoids, which are going to be clear or white uh, crystalline um, in the middle. And then I can start collecting some of the more oily stuff, some of the denser sticky Delta nine, where um, we see a lot of those like flavonoids and esters come out because they stick to it and carry yeah, through yep. with that. Um, so, you know, a lot of what comes out of a regular CRC column follows the very predictable path of a, a you know a flash column or, or yeah, any other exactly. tabletop chromatography mm -hmm. column because the principle is exactly the same whether everyone wants to embrace that or not <laughs> the reason that it works is that terpenes are the most soluble in your solvent so they come out the fastest because they yep. have no resistance i always describe chromatography as a marathon right so if i yeah, want to figure yeah. out um the best runner you know, then they have mm -hmm. to be able to run far enough that I can yeah, have yeah, them cross yeah. the finish line individually. Mm -hmm. When I'm judging a sprint, someone's mm -hmm. in there with a freaking camera, you know, and they're, and this is milliseconds, you know, that's like yeah. your NASCAR where you're like one tenth of a bumper behind somebody. <laughs> right. um, that's not how I want to collect fractions. I want yes. the marathon where I have time to like golf clap and hand a water, take a photo. And then, Oh, here comes the next one. You know, I yeah. want space and time in between capturing each of those in order to actually evaluate them. And so with that marathon, I want, I want the same distance every time so that I can figure out where these runners come out. And if I figure out where they come out, they'll pretty much come out the same every time. And right. if I do that enough, this method could be perfected in the same way any other chromatography method could be perfected in a glass column or a flash column or an HPLC right. or whatever you're using. Oh, yeah. Um, principles are all the same. Right, exactly. But that does come from practicing uh, and repeating the same method. Mm -hmm. 
and then measuring it. Um, and so that's where the controversy of CRC comes in because like anything, if you do a bad job, make a bad product. Mm -hmm. And so poorly done distillate smells like hot fish garbage (laughs) and is like 60% potency, right? So who needs that? Because it's not a better product, right? So the concept of distillation is that I'm using boiling point to purify compounds. So it should be cleaner and stronger. And that would be the reason that it's better. But if it isn't pure, if it isn't more isolated, if it isn't over 90%, then it isn't good distillate. So that doesn't make all distillation a joke. That makes this distilled oil a joke, right? right. But, we, but we invented this noun, distillate, uh, that you know is just like this Lumps ominous every- product, yeah. right? That could mean anything. Yep. But at least in the realm of distillate, it, it always kind of meant oil that wasn't supposed to have flavor. In the realm yeah. of CRC, which is the same thing. Now we have a a noun that should be describing a piece of equipment that's being mm-hmm. applied to your consumer product as well. Yeah. And so now anything that's been filtered with any type of solid phase, whether mm-hmm. it's just clay, whether it's clay plus silica, mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. some weird combination, there's of course a whole bunch of, uh, you know, like proprietary products and different, you know, molecular sieve type of um, you know, compounds and uh, you know, zeolites, things like that, that people are yeah. using yeah. that have, other industrial applications that are very common. Um, you know, we've now we've got uh, people just kind of blandly generally applying that to their output product. And so a CRC product could be from fresh frozen flour and be a live resin that is wet and sticky and has, you know, terpenes at 5% of the total volume, or it could be dry, crumbly wax that mm-hmm has no flavor and is 60% potency. And so just like it's, you know, comparable, badly done distillate, that CRC would be gross. Um, And and it would be purified waxes and purified THCA and not much else, right? Um, And so that that would be the fault of the extractor because that's a bad method, right? Yeah, I mean, you you've brought up several important things here one i love the uh the marathon analogy what i was what i was taught when i first got into analytical chemistry was uh to think about chromatography like a plinko board sort of like you've oh, got yeah. each every molecule is a different size ball you know falling through all of these pegs and the bigger ones hit resistance uh, as the smaller ones kind of just coast on through um and then you can adjust the the pegs and the size of the board, you know, and mm-hmm. all these things and, and adjust all that. But I, re- I really like the marathon example that really communicates that uh, the harvesting of the fractions really well. Yeah. Uh, but, but what you just pointed out that like, when people say that something is a CRC treated product, that has no single meaning. And so right. that could, that could apply to any chromatography method used in the extraction process. Mm-hmm. Um, um, which is, uh, you know, the, it's it's fascinating because the the argument around CRC right now is like there's a camp of people that really want to know whether a product has been, you know, treated right. with CRC or not. And they'd like to see it on labels and all that sort sure. of thing. Um, and that seems to be gaining a lot of steam, which is worrying because you're talking about labeling something that itself is not defined. Right. Um, and so it, it that ultimately brings out the risk of further 
misinforming people. Yeah. Well, that's, that's my frustration is that it's, it's always our petty arguments between extractors that hurt the patients. It doesn't hurt us when we criticize each other, we get over it, you know? Um, But the consumers are sitting there saying, wait, what's poison? What's going (laughs) to kill me? This is bad. I didn't know this was a thing. We're not, we don't have that same reaction to it because we knew it was a thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, so it's easier for us to be like, oh yeah, well, this distillate that's 99% is not hot dog water because it's 90, because now I don't have to call it distillate anymore. Now I call it Delta 9 THC. Mm -hmm. Now it has a name because it's isolated, you know, now it's not a weird ominous you know yeah this ambiguous yeah exactly yeah Yeah, this this you know kind of marketed product with no substance once we've isolated it now i've got a name for it now i can call it something and that's what consumers need to demand quit asking Mm -hmm. us to come up with catchy stuff that's easier for you to understand no we just need to have the scientific discussion you deserve to know the alcohol content in your wine yes yeah you know, if you wanted to know if pesticides were sprayed on those crops, you can ask for that and you can get that information. If you want your winemakers to start testing for tannins and put that on the label, you can demand it. That's the same thing for cannabis and so much more so than any other industry because the government loves to regulate us. So if you mm-hmm. tell them something's important to you, they'll come and make us do it. Start demanding terpene testing. Yeah. One of the most common criticisms of CRC is that it strips the terps, right? Right. Um, so the best way to prove that, uh, to be true or false would be to test for terpenes, but you don't hear people say, where's the terpene test for that product? Mm-hmm. What you hear people say is, oh, that's not terpy. And that's mm-hmm. not yeah, observation. That's a useless thing to say to anyone. <laughs> it's not fair to the consumer. It doesn't help them, yeah. you know, especially in these COVID times, you know, one of the things the consumer used to be able to do was smell a product before they buy it. And most mm-hmm. of that is allowed anymore so you're buying based on words those words should match numbers you know like our descriptions should not be trusted we're just saying stuff in the lab these days uh more more than ever from you know marketing Mm -hmm. perspective as well as just like that kind of ip uh oh yes yes perspective of like it's this is my recipe so it's different than their recipe who cares if it is you know like if you use more uh, silica and less bentonite clay like it's still silica and bentonite clay which has like a fairly predictable outcome and if you're using a wide uh short column and someone else is using a narrow long column like you know you guys might get like similar result it's so hard to you know mm-hmm. compare different processes to each other you know it's like saying yeah. a strain is bad because of one grower growing it like who knows maybe right. they're bad you know, right. too exactly. many variables. So when we, when we say that to a consumer, it doesn't give them any more information. CRC yeah. doesn't mean anything. Um, yeah. Now, when people ask for it to be on the labels, I think that that's fair, but I think that they need to approach that in every category. One thing um, that you see uh, a huge difference between hemp and cannabis uh, with is labeling the use of solvents. Mm, and yeah. so in Colorado, if I winterize an ethanol the word ethanol has to be on the outside of my package interesting even okay. if i extract and butane right um mm-hmm. because i put ethanol on it it's so i gotta list ethanol. it yeah. right mm-hmm. um so if i grow diamonds and pentane i've got to list mm-hmm. pentane right yeah. 
um, California says you got to list the extraction solvent. So if I extract it with butane and then I crystallize later, recrystallize mm. in pentane, I don't have to list pentane. Interesting. I and so that, that is not fair to the consumer. Mm -hmm. Not because it's good or bad to use pentane to recrystallize, sure, but because yeah. they deserve, if, if they've decided that they want to know what right. solvents are being used, I think it's dishonest to not tell them every solvent that's being used. So yeah. if consumers want to know every method of filtration that's being used, great. You want me to list when it's stainless steel, when it's a glass frit, you want me to list when it's silica, when it's clay? When it's a paper filter, is it an ash-free paper filter? Is it a slow or is this one a two micron? You want me to list every, you know, like every- Right, you want me to give you a whole like uh, bill of goods of everything that, right. you know- Right, exactly. And so, you know, so then from there, you got to narrow it down to like, okay, well then what are maybe the known allergens, right? So silica right. could be labeled an allergen. So silica, um, clay includes silica. So that's all in the same category, basically. Mm -hmm. So then you could say, okay, now we have to, um, you know, list uh, silica, but carbon's not an allergen. So now we don't have to list carbon, but we're going to list right. silica. Like you end up, you end up making these weird compromises when you put those semantic rules in place. And so yeah. I think that um, what you've got to do as a consumer is instead of pay attention to how it's made, pay attention to what's in your jar. Yes. That's what you yes. need to know. We're <laughs> yes. doing stuff in the lab, whatever. Okay. What's in your jar is what matters to you. What I had to take out of it to get what's in your jar by itself, we can talk all day about how to communicate that to mm -hmm. the consumer and not get very far because of those issues with scientific terminology versus cannabis yeah. terminology versus lack of access to testing. I can't even test for flavonoids if I want to right, right. now. Yeah. Uh, you know, hopefully someone will hear this and email me because I've been dying trying to, you know, get this analytical information. Um, so, you know, like we, we can't take it from that side, you know, it's easy to put the burden on us and say, you're the extractor. Tell me what you did to it. What yeah. does that actually tell you? Is that right. how are you make you your even, decision? Yeah. How are you even going to process right. that information in a meaningful way? Right. Cause when yeah. you tell me, I want to know if, it, if silica was used to filter it, that's not what you want to know. What you want to know is, is this going to have a terpene profile that's like extremely peppery because mm -hmm. I've had some CRC product that was extremely peppery and I didn't like that. Yeah. And so your real question is how much beta caryophyllene is in this? Like, that's what I want to know. Right. And like, I'm here for that conversation to figure out the difference between um, what you don't understand as a consumer and yeah. what I am not properly communicating to you mm -hmm. as a manufacturer. Um, because if we can complain about the same things, yes, we'll get the testing. You know, if <laughs> yes. we just get on board together, we all want terpene testing. That's actually what all of us want. Yeah. Um, but what we do instead is call something a terp sauce versus a wet batter versus a live blah, blah, blah. We just say things yeah. instead of put the terpenes on the label. Well, and I mean, this, this issue with vernacular is one reason why the, you know, the first substantial chapter in my book is simply like, here are all these words the cannabis industry uses. Yeah. And here are alternative words you might also be familiar with that mean the same thing. 
And if you're not from the cannabis industry, you may not know what any of this right. means. It's like <laughs> military acronyms to an outsider. Yeah. You're just like, well, CRC now and a DUX, what? Like it's too right. many things that don't mean anything. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's just what I dislike about it is that it's unfair to the consumer because yeah. With cannabis, um, and I think, you know, consumers in general, like there's definitely like a shift in the, you know, past decade of people oh, trying absolutely. to be more yes. aware and, absolutely. you know, caring more about not just like false advertising, but the integrity of the information that's on um, their packaging, right? So, yeah. um, you know, like it was, uh, it was that type of climate that made people start putting no hormones added mm -hmm. to their milk. Yeah. Um, but it took like another, like, you know, six years for people to say, oh yeah, hormones are never added. Right. That's not allowed. <laughs> yeah. They're just saying. Because they're tapping into what allowed. you think right. that you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so you as a consumer thought that you were getting special treatment mm -hmm. and they were just basically taking advantage of what you don't understand. Uh, yeah. which is rude, I think, and worse yes. and yep. disingenuous. And, and the cannabis industry is so guilty of that. Like Absolutely. we do that to consumers where we pick that trending hashtag of a cannabis term full and spectrum. then full spectrum, broad spectrum. Yeah. Um, and it, we just make it, you know, botanical, organic. Like we, we turn it into a thing that makes people feel like they're not doing cannabis the right way mm -hmm. unless they do it this certain popular right now way, which is right. not it, fair to anyone. No, it sends people chasing dead ends right. rather than really understanding, right. you know, the core of, of what's going on. And I'm so glad you said, you know, what really matters is what's the finished product? What is its chemical profile? And right. what do you, what do you care about? And the, on the consumer side, the education that is most valuable is like, partnered with good analytical data taste a bunch of stuff and figure out what you like and then find out why you like it um yeah. you know like what what are those components that really matter to you are there certain cannabinoid ratios certain terpenes mm -hmm. present that you really like oh did you, it turn out to you like you really do care about flavonoids you know and esters and everything and the ester thing is something that's really interesting because you know depending on the extraction method and treatment methods right. and stuff you can get very unique um, esterification of compounds, yeah. cannabinoids and terpenes and stuff that like right. come, you know, join together and everything. So it really gets into this uh, really fascinating world. But, you know, that's really the starting point is like, get acquainted with what some of these major terpenoids actually smell and, and taste like. And, you know, eventually when we get to the point where, you know, we're able to get a better handle on the flavonoids and understand, mm -hmm. you know, like, being able to to tease out those things and some of these ester components and talking about color, you know, there was a good paper that came out recently about cannabinoid quinone compounds and yeah, how right. uh, those are responsible for some of those reds mm -hmm. that are in the extracts. Yeah. And, and so, you know, wrapping your head around and you don't have to have like a degree in chemistry to have a good practical understanding of these things. Right. It really is like taste testing just, but it just having that information to accompany the taste test. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if you read every book and memorize how to properly pronounce every terpene, you still have to go smoke some weed you still have to do something. to figure out which one you like. Like you can you can read everything and you still have to just try it 
you could read every paper written on terpene interactions with your brain and terpene interactions with THC, but there's, you're still the variable that you can't read about. So you still have to try it. And so there's things you can do to um, like refine your palate. Um, Literally the same as the type of steps that you would take to be a better wine drinker, for example, you know, Um, because it's, I think it's the best comparison to the types of um, compliments and complaints that we have about cannabis, you know, and especially in the, um, you know, like that recreational retail sort of connoisseur smoking realm where you have people talking about their, you know, their um, full melt versus their rosin versus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a high end live resin versus a cured resin, whatever. Um, and we all are, you know, in our own ways with our own hilarious lingo talking about how to either replicate the condition that it's in in the plant. Mm-hmm. or improve upon it because there's a lot of um, examples where extraction of a plant is actually better than um, smoking it as the the raw flower. And then there's a lot of examples of the exact opposite. Some of those OGs are really hard to capture in a concentrate mm-hmm. yeah. um, and you just don't get the same experience that you get when smoking them in a flower. But some of those fruity flavors, this is where we're talking about those esters again. When, when you smoke them, they smell fruity, but they don't always get that flavor yes, because yeah. the that combustion process is not yeah, favorable to yeah. that. That ester doesn't exist anymore yep. in the way that a terpene will kind of boil and still mm-hmm. be itself for a minute, depending on, you know, how yeah, hot you're getting you're it, yeah. you know? Yeah. But like, you know, those esters don't, they don't have that tolerance, you know, we're not, yeah. we're not distilling an ester in that same way. Right. So, yeah. um, So now we have a product that like you actually can kind of, um, you know, preserve and improve upon in an extraction. And so now it's not about mimicking the flower. It's about, you know, like improving that concentrate. And, and once we start getting into that world and we start talking about mixing strains together and, you know, really formulating, it gets very far away from like the strain names that, you know. And the oh, sativa yeah. and indica that you've come to associate your habits with. And so the way that we communicate what it's made of is just even more important. If we yeah. had the right recipe, it wouldn't matter where those terpenes came from. The yeah. thing is, there's more in that recipe than terpenes. So even yes. having the right terpene recipe wouldn't be enough. We need all the rest of that data. We need everyone to care <laughs> about not what's in your CRC column but what's in your product in your jar. We don't yeah. have a wax test. Do you know how basic and regular mm-hmm. omega fatty acids are? And we don't just demand a simple test that quantifies wax content. If you could test the wax content of the flower before I extracted it, that would tell me more about what my yields mm-hmm. are going to look like than even the potency probably. And for someone yeah, who's doing solventless or rosin, game changing. That's something I've actually been thinking about. So Here's a little secret I'll share with people that have listened this far. Um, Something that I'm working on on the side is putting together these like cannabis science kits. So these like learning, just like you buy a chemistry kit, you know, somewhere. But now that we have hemp, you can actually make, you know, experiment kits uh, with hemp and, you know, all these different things. Uh, And one thing I've thought about is like, I mean, there are very simple lipid tests. um, 
just know, indicator that, tests, just a exactly, yes or no. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Indi- indicator tests. Yeah. Um, that could be, that could be part of that as well as like very simple, like thin layer chromatography and very simple, right. you know, all these little, um, ways yeah. of demonstrating these concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully something like that with people having this hands-on opportunity to take materials that they personally have and to play with them and see and like, Oh, there are like, these heavy lipids in here or right. oh look at that like i'm able to see how well this product is decarboxylated because i plated it and you know learned yeah. chromatography and did this stuff it um, my hope is that it will drive interest in things like that like uh, for the analytical labs like to broaden what a lot of the analytical labs are thinking about this stuff but it's really demand like the producers are not demanding in enough volume some right. of these tests so it just doesn't make financial sense for the labs to validate and, and onboard these methods but that's what i'd like to see and this whole discussion around crc highlights one of the things that i obsess over which is quality control quality management and that you you really shouldn't have to be that concerned over the technology it's the application right. of the technology it's the controls Always. on the finished product and so, you know, that's really the discussion. We don't need to have this discussion of is CRC bad? I mean, that's like saying, is chromatography good or bad? Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, it's not a, that's not an yeah. argument that anyone right. like, wants Like is to distillation have. good or bad? I don't know. Do we like rain? Because we need <laughs> distillation, you know? Like we can't, you yeah, know, we can't it, say general things like that. Yeah. It falls apart into absurdity. Exactly. And so, so talking more about like, well, how are these how are producers um taking quality management seriously um are they evaluating the components of their columns if they're making custom blends are they evaluating the final product one thing i wanted to ask you about have you ever seen extracts come out of a column like this and have particulates in them from yeah so good question yeah so the um the risks, um, you know, health and safety is always usually uh, where I start, but I just, uh, I, I love advocating for the the consumer um, as well. But yeah. uh, the health and safety risks really are um, predominantly posed to the extractors for mm. sure, um, because their exposure to the media is right up there, close and personal um, yeah. when it is loose when it is dry, when they're mixing it, when they're baking it, when they're pouring it into the column, when they're pouring it out of the column. And, uh, you know, one thing that you can't do when you're using butane and propane on like almost every other solvent that you would probably choose for chromatography is that you can't wet load your column. Yeah, yeah. You have to load it as a dry powder. Um, and so uh, for people who aren't familiar with that, the, the difference would be um, between having a bucket of dry powder and then pouring liquid into it and then scooping like a thick, you know, slurry that isn't yeah. dusty and pouring that liquid into a column through a funnel versus trying to scoop the equivalent of mixed up powdered sugar and flour together. Mm-hmm. and not make a mess into a narrow column and still putting that through the same funnel. So a wet load is just easier. Um, it's harder to mess up. Uh, you know, it's easier to pack tight. Um, it rinses a little bit faster because it's already wet going in. Channeling is really easy to avoid. So the whole process just goes faster. You can store it that way, which is helpful um, if you're trying to get through a lot of columns in a day. When you're dry loading, you um, it's just kind of a bad process. And so the extractor has a significant exposure 
during that process. Um, they need to be wearing a respirator just because this is fine particulate dust and yeah. inhalation of fine solids of any kind. Bad for you. Bad. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then silicosis often comes up. Um, and so that is from crystalline silica. Uh, the tricky part of this is that the silica gel that's called silica, not the one that gives you silicosis. That's a gel. It's a round little particle. It doesn't do the same things. The bentonite clay, which is called clay, which sounds very nice, is <laughs> full of crystalline silica. Bentonite clay is the one yeah. that will give you silicosis. So any of these media, just treat them all like they're going to give you a cough later that you mm -hmm. might die of and, you know, and take it seriously. Um, and so wear a ventilator, wear a respirator. Cross-contamination, in my opinion, is a far greater cause of getting mm -hmm. media into your final oil mm -hmm. than getting yeah. it through the filter. But this does come back to your application of the method. Um, an important part of prepping your chromatography column is wetting it first and having a good solid flow rate of just your fluid solvent. And anyone who's packed glass columns knows that that's annoying sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't go exactly the way you want it to. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you literally just have to pour it out and start over. Yeah. But with a glass column, you know that before you start your actual process. Because you see the channeling, you see the issues in it, you see the crack in the bed. So you don't go and pour all your oil into the top of it. When you pack it into the stainless steel column, you do not know if the quality of that uh, packing has changed inside. So there's a lot of things you can do physically to retain it and um, hold it in place. A lot of people try to just physically push it um, right. and pack it. Keep in mind, this is dry powder mm -hmm. and you're just like a human being. When you rinse it with solvent, that is what is going to actually compress it. And that's the best way to do it. We want the solvent to fill in those holes and move the media around and completely wet it. Um, and properly wetting a column creates its own internal sediment bed filtration. Once it's completely wetted, no more dust, even the fine dust, will get through its own kind of packing. Um, and then you've got your additional yeah, packing right. underneath it, right? But mm -hmm. during that wetting process, fine dust is rinsing through absolutely because you have wet at the top, dry at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so dust is getting through because it's being poofed out of there with pressure from behind. And no amount of packing it tight or putting 20 to 50 filter papers at the bottom <laughs> is going to stop that from happening, yeah. right? Like those particles are smaller than a micron, you know, like smaller than one. So yeah. you can't see them and they are getting through and you have to assume that they're there. And if you rinse and wet it properly and then you do not cross contaminate your system. So you rinse and wet it into a container that isn't where your final product is going. You can mitigate almost all of that. But that does call for a level of like sanitation in your process lines and additional vessels um, to be able to actually achieve it, you know? And so like if I wipe down my collection vessel really carefully after I do that run and I put it back together and there's no silica in there, there might be tiny bits of a uh, Kim wipe in there. Yeah. 
because yeah. I was wiping it so thoroughly. <laughs> and so like in that case, silica is benign. It's not going to hurt you as a little particulate in the submicron piece of dust in your oil. And it is probably more benign than whatever kind of random paper towels someone's using. Imagine people using the blue uh, shop towels that I see all of the time that are like literally dyed, you know, uh, blue, like <laughs> they're, um, you know, not what you want to be putting on your final product surfaces, you know, um, it's for shops, right? Tires. But, uh, you know, so the like there's so much fine particulate contaminant in the lab already. You know, you've got like yeah. skin and hair yeah. and dander, pollen and keef particles and just generic <laughs> wind dust because the C1D1 yeah. uh, has so much airflow. And so literally anything on the floor is going to be moving while you're dispensing your oil. And all these systems are designed to dispense your oil on the floor in the flow of dirt, you know, floor level dirt right. dust uh, in a yep. wind tunnel. It's just, you know, it's an area where cross-contamination is not very well addressed um, based on most of the standard equipment models. And, you know, we're not dispensing it into sealed containers that are, you know, isolated and cleaned either. It's often going into an open container of some kind. And so now I have the particulate in the room. Silica is everywhere. Clay is everywhere. Dirt is everywhere. You know, the submicron particulate as a yeah. solid in your oil exists with CRC or not. Yep. Um, if the lab does CRC on some of their products and not other, the amount of particulate in your oil is probably exactly the same because I would blame most of it on, um, you know, cross-contamination through, uh, the like the dishes that they use, the tools they use, the gloves, their clothes, the room, the air. Um, that is where most of that is going to come from. And it's yeah. boiling points like 2000 Celsius. You can't smoke it. <laughs> if you, yeah. you know, if yeah. you sucked it too hard into your bong, that's why we put water in it is to filter out those solids. Um, and if you did inhale a little piece, that is not the silicosis risk that inhaling dried dust at a construction site is. Yeah, that perspective is always very important to uh, consider. It's like we talked about in our last discussion, just thinking about um, people's health concerns about uh, different solvents and everything. Um, you're right that in general, most of the time, any risks associated with extracts, it's usually greatest to the producer, not the consumer, um, with the exception of you know, like uh, pesticide contaminants, mycotoxins, that sort of thing. But um, no, that's that's an extremely good point. And once again, this all makes me think about quality management stuff because I'm like, right. you know, technically, according to uh, FDA rule, people should be validating their sanitation processes. Right. Uh, so like they should actually be, you know, trying to clean things up and then performing some sort of measurements to see how clean things to are getting. To prove it's clean. Yeah. Right. You have yes. to what? Test? Test it, you say? Have what? more analytical data that's objective and numerical? Spend more money? Is what? that what's happening? It's, yeah, it's a vicious cycle where you have to prove it all the time. But that's where like we uh, we have to ask the right questions. You know, yes. So it's easy yeah. for the consumer to say, well, I want to test for silica. Silica is in your weed. Silica is right. like one of yeah. the primary the dirt, compounds I mean. to make a weed weed, you know, that's how it <laughs> yeah. you, you don't have the... silica, you don't have cannabis. Right. So, it, it creates the skeleton. Yeah. So that yeah. test is guaranteed positive. You will always have some, right. Yeah. And by the time we're concentrating it down, you know, 
you don't need a test to identify silica. The, the test would be weight. The test would be, you know, particulate filtration, you know, a, a syringe filter or a centrifuge. And then we would just weigh it on a scale that can weigh four, mm -hmm. five, six, seven, ten decimals all the way out. Um, and so if you want to pay attention to those tiny decimals all the way out for benign compounds like silica, great. I'm here for you. I will put that. I'll say that everyone should put it on their label, but not before we talk about the whole number compounds that no okay. one's asking for on the label that are easy yeah. and cheap to test for. Terpenes are easy and cheap to test for. And if most of people's complaints are about the flavor, we need to standardize terpene testing to get that out of the way so that we can mm -hmm. move on to getting the flavonoid, the ester, the, all of that other flavor mm -hmm. testing. Because yeah. right now we can argue about terpenes all day um, and have these conversations about botanical terpenes aren't the same. They are the same. It's just that there's more things in it, you know? So what we want is mass balance. Tell me what's in my jar. If you want to know how many 0. 0.0000s of particular pieces of clay are in your oil, I'm with you. Let's find out. Because uh, we're going to find out so much other cool stuff on our way there, right? Yeah, Let's yeah, just keep figuring it yeah. out on our way. If I, if I want to know that, then you should demand the lead uh, results be on your label every single time. Yeah, because absolutely. those get into the you know second and third decimal before they fail. Um, yes. A lot of those allowances are higher than you might think. Um, yeah. You know, and so like there's other known contaminants that people aren't demanding to see. You want to see what's in your oil. That's yeah. what matters. Uh, and there's so much cool stuff we could find out. Like those indicator tests are great. They're not great for an analytical lab because what are they going right. to do? Run a hundred little paper, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, examples? And deliver no. information yeah. that like oh, is hardly valuable. Out. We got sugar guys. Yeah, no, like we're not <laughs> doing that. So it's not a, you know, it's just not the way um, that, you know, that type of analytical testing goes. But at the same time, the consumer has this like distrust for a vial in a computer. You yeah. know, a consumer sees that and is like, ooh, witchcraft, I don't get it. You yes. know, it seems yeah. too complicated. Yeah. Um, so you give them something they can do on their own. I think that's that's perfect. Like everybody can pH their, you know, their water yeah. when they're growing. And a lot of these tests are about uh, as difficult as pHing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, doing sugars, heavy right. fats, all these indicator tests, super, super simple. You take a sample, you mix it. With a liquid, you shake it up, put a piece of paper in there, and it yeah. changes color, or the or the liquid changes color, you know, or whatever. Um, yeah, and it and it delivers some bit of empowerment to the consumer. Like I can right. poke poke around with this and and look at it. And and one thing I want to tie this whole discussion to distillate as well, because everything that we've talked about with CRC you know, also applies to distillation. Yeah. Methods, it, you know. All of this is like old news. It's like, so I'm like, oh, this again, because this is what everyone did about distillate when it first came out. This is what everyone did about um, ethanol extract when it first came out, when it was like the amber glass and stuff, everyone had their bubble hash and like weird, whatever they were smoking. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, too pure, you know, like that clear mm -hmm. shattery stuff was too much. And then, you know, like, and it just kept... <laughs> It's always been this distrust of whatever is new. And I'm like, okay, you guys, can we, can we stop that now? And like, you know, embrace the new because we need it. Um, because distillate went through this and the, 
the biggest problem um, that distillate faced compared to CRC now is even less testing, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like there was a really long time where all we had was even just gas chromatography for potency. And, and so yep. we weren't testing THCA, right? Yep. Which was really problematic. Um, now with distillate, we're, you know, we had all of these other potential um, side compounds. So when yes. people started creating Delta-8, uh -huh. what they thought they were creating was 20% D9 that was clear with mystery other, right? Like we didn't yep. have the rest of the data. And so that gave us all of these like weird offshoots where it used to be, oh, clear distillate that it had to be 90% until someone made clear distillate by affecting pH instead of just continually distilling it to perfection. And so that alternative created a D8 and then someone had a different experience there. And then now, you know, someone got a bad test and it created this fake product and it, you know, proliferates and like the same thing with CBD, you know, like we just see all of these, you know, weird little like individual examples of where like the product kind of progressed in a way that didn't, you know, that the consumers didn't keep up with because the analytical testing wasn't there. And then it gets blown out of proportion, like a razor blade in an apple where it's like, all of it's been poisoned. Everyone of everyone's going to die, you know, and it's, um, most of the time it's individual situations that like you are probably never going to happen to you. And all you got to yeah. do is read a label. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of this, like, um, you know, going back to what we talked about in the very beginning, that so much of this is so individualized and the way that I talk about mm -hmm. all of these different types of extracts and extraction methods and everything is, you know, I'm just like, to me, especially like how I came into science was as a technologist, you know, before I was studying biology and all these things, I was working in labs, fixing machines. And then, you know, it sort of spun off. So the technologist in me is just like, they're all tools. Um, right. And if a certain tool doesn't work for what you need a tool for, then don't use it and find what does. But this debate over superiority mm -hmm. or that like, you know, for instance, with going back to the CRC and distillate thing that like all distillate is inferior because it's not, you know, the fullest spectrum of chemistry. It's like, well, maybe someone, you know, reacts better to that than than something yeah. maybe than flour or an alcohol extract or something. And, you know, likewise with the CRC stuff. I mean, I hope that in this discussion, I hope the effect will be that people maybe take a breath and like slow down a little mm -hmm. bit with some of these arguments and the judgments that are that are kind of being thrown out there and to just recognize and and this is something that i feel towards isolate as well because isolate has a sort of negative connotation to it in the industry that you know isolate isn't going to be as effective it's like well actually for some people it, it is and i i know anecdotally um of people that have tried like every product under the sun and they've ended up sticking with highly purified distillates, you know, something that's very close to isolate. And that's what works for them for whatever mm -hmm. reason. I don't claim to understand why. Um, I don't think we have enough research to even say why you would need full spectrum over isolate. Like, right. It's just still all so new. Um, and, and so seeing so people- personal, like you said, yes, like individual. Yeah. I could never say that you are going to experience anything exactly the yeah. way that i do you know least of all color 
or some of these other, you know, I'm colorblind. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's just, there's no way for us to generalize it. And yeah. And you know, the compounds are ultimately the same. I think that's one thing that I can say to consumers is like, the weed's not that different. We're calling it a lot of crazy names. It sounds Mm -hmm. really complicated pretty much the same stuff it was always made of. The difference is going to be the concentration. And it really does come down to looking at the label. If you're used to smoking weed that was 10% total cannabinoids, and now you're smoking weed that's 24% total cannabinoids, that's 14% more. That math, if it were posed to you that way, Mm -hmm. would explain to you why you can smoke a little bowl instead of a whole joint and get exactly the experience you were looking for. Because we can't say a bowl is so many milligrams or a joint is so many milligrams. We can say this amount of mass has so many milligrams based on a medical test. We have to Mm -hmm. come back to numbers. Uh, And that's the only way to really stay objective with it, right? So consumers really need to just pay attention to that. Most of these concentrates are still going to be as good as their numbers. Like you should still be looking Mm -hmm. for how much of it can be accounted for. We know there's categories we aren't adding up. We know Mm -hmm. there's categories we are. So if I have 99% anything, at least that tells me that I have a much shorter list of other things to start crossing off. Right. Whereas if I'm only in that 60% range, I have a lot of mass to go and account for. And if it was 40% terpenes, you'd know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so most of the rest of what it is goes into that list of stuff we don't know yet. And I think that all extractors want that information as much as consumers do. Yeah. Um, we just don't communicate to each other the right way to ask for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you say that it doesn't have the same flavor profile, like, ask for the terpene labels, you know, like ask for this data that you can use and then we can have, you know, more specific conversation because, you know, there's people who really like wine because they know what kind of wine they like. And there's people who don't like wine because they've had 10 different kinds of red wine and some of them gave them a headache and some of them made them too sleepy and some of them made their mouth really dry and like they can't, you know, they had all of these unpredictable experiences, right? So that person might like vodka. They might like isolate in a club mm-hmm. soda, not because it's better or more alcohol than the wine, but because it's the same every time. Maybe that's all they want is consistency. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that either. It's just about figuring out which consistency they want. Because there's other terpenes and other active compounds mm-hmm. at play in that club soda, you know, yep. vodka. Yep. Um but Absolutely. Like, they're the same every time in a way that your bottles of wine from vineyard to vineyard will not be. And so like you know, all these different cannabis products can't be better than each other on a scale that's bigger than you. Yes, yes, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so whatever you like the best is best. <laughs> yes. you know? Yeah, we don't have to make it any more complicated and than that's that. that's great. Yeah, and that's the end of it, really. Um, and so all we need to know is like, what is it made of so that mm-hmm. you can figure out what you like? Yep. And that's it. We just need to figure out what's in the jar. Um, and if we can figure out what's in there, we can work backwards to improve upon that yes. formulation. Um, yep. But if we put all that burden on figuring it out without the test of what it is, 
I'm doing crazy things to guess. Yeah. And we've gotten pretty far as an industry doing that. Uh, but it's exhausting. And we'd yeah. like, you know, consumers can really help. <laughs> it's it's like looking at the the ancient history of of chemistry, basically. You know, this is how it's like reinventing the wheel, you know. It's like we already went through this with natural products chemistry. Like yeah. we started out not knowing what we were doing and seeing the effects of extraction methods and things and playing around and then technology progressed. We got into like the the 30s, 40s, 50s and we're like, "Oh, we can actually, you know, start to analyze classes of compounds and things." You can get in the 60s and 70s and you're like, "Whoa, we've got some awesome technology to see exact molecules." And then now I mean, there's no excuse at this point, yeah. like the, the technology that's available to examine um, all of these different things. Yeah, we don't we don't have to go. through. And I'll I'll cap all of that off by saying I don't want to come across as if I don't appreciate the art of extraction, because there right. definitely is an art to it. Just like I think in all science, like art and science are, are intimately connected. Um, but, you know, like you've you've pointed out repeatedly, I, I think I might even title this conversation "What's in the Jar" because yeah. I mean that's that's really what it boils down to. And this debate over CRC, over distillate, or isolate, full spectrum, you know, it really just has to come back around to what tools do we need to be able to talk about this more uh, more accurately and honestly, and to give people the tools they need to figure out what they like so that they can get a predictable experience. Like that's, you know, it's yeah. pretty much um, what it comes down to. Um, and I see we've, we've been going for like an hour and 20 minutes here. So I want to be very respectful of your time. I didn't mean to keep sure. you uh, this long, but um, <laughs> I really, really appreciate it. So I want to start to, to wrap it all up. And I, uh, I hope that we've, we've kind of, we have kind of come full circle here, I think from uh, where we started in the conversation and, and kind of where we're at. So I hope that producers listening, um, you know, I hope that one thing this highlights is the importance of quality control, which is one reason why I like talking to you is because you appreciate quality and safety. Um, and so I hope that on the producer side, that's something that's like, if you're diving into chromatography, try to understand what you're doing, what you're working with, and, and particularly the safety aspects of working mm -hmm with uh these these fine particulates protect yourself and ultimately try to understand your process so that you can validate it and do things the same way over and over again mm -hmm. but also the finished product try to understand what's actually in it to the best of our abilities currently because we know that analytical technologies are going to continue to evolve but also put pressure on the cannabis testing labs um because i can speak right. from experience to that that if you're not telling a lab that you're going to be paying every so often for a particular test that they don't already do, it's, I mean, it's just, it's a business. Cannabis testing labs are businesses. They're not research institutions. Right. I, I wish they were. That's what I was hoping when I got I mean, into that work. Fair to pay them for it. We expect people yeah. to pay us to run almost automated equipment. Yep. We can pay them to do the same thing. I think yeah. it's fair for them to be a business and if I talk to other extractors, they say, absolutely, I want flavonoid testing. And I talk to the lab, they say, no one ever asks for it. Yeah, yep. They've got Ask to get that feedback. Yeah. yeah. If you're a consumer, just you can just email every lab on the internet right now and say, do you do flavonoid testing? The more times they hear that, it's mm -hmm. just like firing off rep <laughs> repetition emails yep. at like politicians. They just need to read that word in the subject line enough 
and yep. maybe they'll care. We have a hundred years of organic chemistry that already did this. We don't need to be using a lighter to see how much butane <laughs> is left in your oil anymore. Yeah, we can we can handle this. Uh, and I can I can tell you the labs are excited to do it too. I mean, yeah. um, in the circles that I ran in, we were all all day. They're bored. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we've all been talking about flavonoid testing for years. Yeah. I mean, I got into cannabis testing in 2014 and that year we were talking about, Oh, how awesome would it be to be able to characterize flavonoids? And we'd, you right. know, do um, different types of extractions in the lab to see all of the pigments coming out and everything mm -hmm. like, Oh, maybe those are isoflavones. Wouldn't that be so right. interesting to look at? Um, so like, the people working in the labs, they're already there. They're excited to be able to take on a new thing and tools to do it. We yes. just need to support them. It's not that much of a additional investment um, in like materials necessarily it's, it's so much time. as time. Yeah. Yes. And so we just got to be there for it, you know? And that's, and that's if you want accurate data, you know, oh, sure. a lab, yeah. a lab can launch. And I, this is a concer slight concern I have is, with the demand, you'll have labs that'll say, oh yeah, we can do flavonoid testing. We'll run things on our mass spec so easy and see what's there. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, the next question, make sure the lab has validated, just like you would like a producer to validate their production methods so that mm -hmm. you can trust the consistency. Um, the canvas testing labs, you should always ask if they launch a new method, ask them one, if they validated it and two, how they validated it. Cause their answers to those questions will tell you a lot on the quality of that test right. um, and whether you can actually trust the results. Um, yeah. And then on the consumer side, I hope that um, in listening to this conversation, maybe um, there'll, there'll be a greater understanding that one CRC is not a single thing. And that essentially when you hear people talking about CRC, they're really just talking about chromatography, which is a very broad thing that is be already being employed by almost everybody to some degree yeah. uh with you know a few exceptions depending on your primary extraction method um but chromatography i mean analytical labs use chromatography extraction labs use chromatography this isn't like some foreign weird thing mm -mm. And, it, and it's okay um <laughs> it's one of the safer ways for us to actually like break apart compounds right, you know, when it comes yeah. down to like the dangerous uh potential byproducts like distillate presents far more of those than chromatography does. You know, it's one of the safest things we could probably do uh, to yes. start breaking it apart. And, you know, I'm, I'm critical of people doing it improperly uh, mm -hmm. for their own safety. Um, but I'm, I'm most critical of, of the bad communication at the same time, everything that I produce uh, in our lab here in Colorado is put through chromatography because mm -hmm if I can pull it apart and put it back together, then I do know more about what's in it. I can be more mm -hmm. confident in what I'm selling. And that you, as a consumer, like you deserve that. Like you can ask for that. We can yes. give it to you, you know? Absolutely. And it, and it opens the doors to so many things you can do when you can, you know, adequately separate compounds and um and you're right and the the notes on distillate that i wanted to point out to listeners because you know we, we talked about how there's a lot of overlap and we didn't specifically dive in a lot into distillate but one of the things you highlighted is that with distillation if it's not done properly and well controlled one of the big downsides are miscellaneous um you know side uh side chain effects byproducts chemical byproducts that happen uh, when things are put under heat and pressure and and um, pH changes and you know all these different things, so 
you know, with distillate, I would say the conversation needs to come around to does the producer, once again, what's in the jar, what's in the syringe, do you understand, um, you know, what's actually in that product? And for distillate, I, I sometimes, depending on the situation, particularly with Delta 8 THC, if you have the opportunity to actually see the chromatogram from mm-hmm. the analytical test, yep. um, that can tell you a lot because you'll be able to see what peaks they actually recognize. And what you don't want to see are a bunch of mystery peaks right. that are hovering around cannabinoids yes. and, and you know, further off just indicating that they're heavier compounds. Um, y- yeah, that you just don't know. So if you see this like 60% Delta yeah. 8 THC and you see a chromatogram, you see all these crazy mountains mm-hmm. on the on the graph that right. you know they don't know what they are yeah just that, noise that, yeah if you've that got that should be a red flag and that's something that you don't need any chemistry background to yeah, evaluate exactly. i i would compare that to like if you're looking at you know two different like uh raw food products and one of them has an ingredient list that's like chicken water citric acid and the other mm-hmm. one has an ingredient list that is like monotoglobium, potassium, carbohydrate, something, you know, and it gets very long and convoluted. That's your messy chromatogram. That's looking like a barcode, all of this other stuff. And so like, (laughs) maybe all of those things are probably cool. Right. But like this one only has three, you know, so I know what's in there. And so if, (laughs) if all other things are equal and you're buying a chemical compound for money by weight, Mm-hmm. You probably care more about what the ingredients are. Yes. That's all you've got to break it down to. And you you can ask, I feel like that's something that a lab should be willing to share mm-hmm. pretty much any time. I understand that it's going to take a, a little bit of their effort and patience to explain things to um, you know the people that they're testing for, but I think that that's a service they owe their clients. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, if you aren't using that data, if you're just getting yes. that report and saying 78, 62, whatever, and just like filing it away and not improving upon it, then what, what is your job? You're just like the robot, yeah. you know? And, and what are you paying for with testing? I think that's one reason why uh, people complain so much about the price of testing is they don't always understand. They don't the use it. They can, yeah. Yes. I eat that data. What they, yes. Like, like 0.18 I mean, THCV? What's this all about? You know, know. and like get into those conversations. If it's a good lab, um, they generally, you know, granted cannabis labs are all, especially with hemp now legal are generally always stressed to the max. But um, if they're passionate about the work they're doing, they are generally happy to talk to someone else who appreciates their work that wants to understand Mm -hmm. and, and labs like developing good relationships with people who actually value the work they're doing. I mean, it, it's, and it's not even just a business thing, but it's like an interpersonal thing that it's like, I'm passionate about this work that I'm doing and, oh, it's giving you value and, oh, you're able to use it. Well, now I want to work with you more and understand how my work is affecting you and vice versa. And it just leads to a lot better things. So yeah, ask questions. Don't hesitate to talk to labs. Yeah, they might be busy. Um, you might have to wait a while to get in to see, you know, the right person to talk to, but it's it's definitely worthwhile. And if you meet a lab that's very uh, defensive or antagonistic and really doesn't want to share stuff or doesn't want to take the time to explain things, find another lab. Because, I mean, the, the lab testing market is so competitive right now that, like, the bad labs need to be snuffed out. Yeah. Um, it's something that frustrates me. And one day when I feel comfortable, I want to do a whole episode just talking about my thoughts on the cannabis testing 
lab industry because all um carpeted I've, analytical facilities <laughs> yeah i've i've been on all sides of yeah. cannabis testing now and um have a lot of beefs uh to to air with the industry at some point when i don't feel like it might bite me in the butt yeah um but yeah so anyway but it's, wrapping all... it starts with us all caring about that data and recognizing that it's important if we yes. all agree that the collection and uh, the way that they're analyzing that data is not correct, then that must mean that we also value that data. So we shouldn't give up. Yes. Yes. Exactly. More correctness. We shouldn't yes. say, well, the data is bad. Throw it out. Let's, let's no. keep guessing. We Ask should more questions. do it harder. Yes. That's, that's absolutely the goal. Yeah. We've yeah. got to, we've got to make these labs compete for our money if they want to be a business. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, like you said, it is interpersonal. I can only imagine being a, you know, a chemist in an analytical lab and watching people test products, get gross results and sell it anyway. And yes. how do you look at that person? Every day you see it. Yep. And be fast. Yes. That, like testing pre-rolls, I can't, it's <laughs> too much. Yeah. I mean, uh, there are so many variables of why I got out of the commercial testing space, but it probably um, quit smoking weed. I feel. <laughs> yeah, it actually it it does. Yeah, you go through periods of time. Yeah. There's so many aspects of it. You get tired of the industry because you feel very underappreciated. Yep. Um, you see bad actors in the industry because they're all everyone has to get stuff tested if you're in a regulated market. So you see right. the people that should not be participating that are selling known, you know, inferior product or <laughs> You know, one thing, my hat's off to, you know, a lot of the people that I worked with, they would refuse if they if they got the sense that someone was coming in trying to push bad product or trying to push stuff to black market or whatever. Um, most of the people in my circles would say, I'm sorry, we can't work with you anymore because yeah. like we just we know what you're doing and we can't in good faith. I can't contribute that every day. Yeah. Yeah. I can't contribute to something that, you know, is either going to lie to somebody or hurt somebody or whatever, you know, uh, the pine rosin thing, you know, so yeah. that's something you've talked about, you know, before it was even um, acknowledged as like a, a big problem. Um, you know, there are people that are actively doing that and cannabis testing labs, like now that there's been some scientific literature published on it, we know certain compounds that we can test for to know whether pine resin is mixed in with an extract or something. But before right. all of that, cannabis testing labs, there's no way for us to, you know, yeah. do anything about that. Um, you may have a good sense of what's going on, but, you know, you're just the lab. And, well, and so if you're not demanding to know what the other 40% is when it's not cut with fake mm -hmm. stuff from Amazon... <laughs> then you know like then what is the difference what's the difference really between the pine rosin cut versus miscellaneous 40 percent distillation byproduct and that's that's exactly my and point yeah to me which one is more or less safe because you can't until we identify all of it we that's got exactly right it. it should add up to 100 i want a whole pie you know yeah. we're so far from that yeah, even if it's just classes of compounds, because right. it's like, we don't have to know every molecule, but at yeah. least know, like, you know, I mean, this is what you see, on, like, some of my prior background before getting into the cannabis analytical world. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was working as a botanist with the BLM, one of the things that we would do is send um, native plant seeds off for testing. And you'd get reports back that, you know, tell you all these classes of compounds and tell you the relative concentrations. 
and in general, you know what you're what you're dealing with, uh, what the components are, what the components of the plants are, whatever. Um, and just that level of information would be really great. Just to know, you don't have to tell me every flavonoid that's in here, but just tell me, you know, what's that flavonoids? Is it? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, is it or is it uh you know a, an omega fatty acid from a, a seed casing you know like right is it, is it something i put in there or is it something that evolved based on storage conditions is it something yeah. that you can change in your growing methods or is it something that's always there no matter what we do about it like there's so yeah. many other questions that come with one little tiny piece of information exactly yep <laughs> yep yeah so, yeah, well, I know I was about to let you go like 20 minutes ago. Yeah, it never, yeah, it never works. I, <laughs> There's so much to talk about always, but because yeah. um, we can't like figure I, out what's in the jar, you know, we gotta, that's going to take the rest of your podcasts to get to the end of it. And I don't know, you know, <laughs> and then we got to figure out what's in your body. Ugh. Take oh yeah i know yeah that's that's what i've been bugging all of these endocannabinoid researchers about right. it's like so what's the deal what's the deal with our technology and you know how do we measure these correlates to the endocannabinoid system and talking to dr demarzo and he's like yeah the endocannabinoid dome there's over 200 ligands and dozens of receptors and right. we only just realized like you know, and he's looking at interaction between the gut microbiome and so yeah. you're like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the complexity so is that. And I get all excited about it. And then I go into my lab and I'm like, hmm, wouldn't it be cool if I like knew if any of that stuff was in my oil or not? You know, like, wouldn't it be cool <laughs> if like any of that information that's fascinating could actually be applied back to this product that I'm selling to people? Yeah. Uh, there's a big gap, but, um, but I love trying to figure it out. I'm, you know, I'm glad you're on the mission because there's so many parts of it. And I don't know. I don't know the answers to most of my questions, you yeah. know, let alone I all the questions I don't know yet that are <laughs> soon to come. Well, and I, I feel like the, the best conversations I have on the podcast, it's really about like, here are my new questions, my refined right. questions. And here's what I've learned that is certainly not the case. Yeah. Um, we don't necessarily have <laughs> the answers. And I think any education, especially in the cannabis space, any educators that are floating around saying that they're experts and they like know a whole lot um, is uh, very misleading because the smartest people in the space that I meet are the ones that say, here are all the things that I don't know. And right. I know you're wrong because I know that this isn't right, but I yeah. don't necessarily know, you know, like what, uh, what the grand answers to these mysteries are. Um, and so I always tell people that those are the people you need to pay attention to, the ones that have some understanding of what they don't know so mm -hmm. that they can ask better questions. Like yeah. that's how we, that's how we level up is right. identifying those better questions and sharing. And, and we have to be specific, you know, the generalities yes. yeah. don't serve anyone. It feels good to put things in this good and bad category. Mm -hmm. None of your life is that simple. Not one yep. part of it, least of all cannabis, every compound in your cannabis is good and bad every single one of them yes it's so, like Schroeder, schrodinger's cat <laughs> it's no, simultaneously it's both states until yeah. something is applied that collapses it one way or the other yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what's gonna happen yeah uh so yeah it's, it's a fun journey but i hope that people um you know like appreciate that uh they should be able to trust their manufacturers they should mm -hmm. be able to trust their labs None of what we're saying um, 
is to imply that like there shouldn't be trust is that we should mm -hmm. demand that trust and we should work together on transparency for that trust and accountability and, yeah and exactly and so that comes from just proving it comes from testing it comes from asking what the tests mean it comes from using the tests to get better if we can just answer what we're already smoking you know we yeah. just need just a few more points to jump off of you know couple yeah. more dots to make a line and we could like figure out where some of this goes, um, you know, that there's no, there's no best, you know, um, mm -hmm. not, not yet. Yeah. Yep. I'm struggling really hard not to make a really lame joke about, uh, uh, the first lady's be best campaign. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, that's just not, um, you know, yeah. like science is all about um, trying to prove yourself wrong, not mm -hmm. trying to prove yes. yourself right. So like Absolutely. we have to go into this with the assumption that we don't, that we don't get it. And that requires humility. And yeah. sometimes, especially in the cannabis industry, but everywhere else too, egos can be really big and humility can sometimes be a, a challenging thing um, to find. I, I heard that cannabis really helps with that actually. So we gotta, <laughs> we gotta get some of these people. <laughs> Gotta get some of these people smoking again. Cause uh yeah, for an industry selling a therapeutic homeopathic yeah. product, um, I think a lot of people gotta literally relax uh, so mm -hmm. we can work together. Yeah, absolutely. Fun project otherwise. Yep. Well, I think that's a, a perfect place to to cap this conversation off. Uh, Murphy, thanks so much for being willing to talk to me for almost two hours now. Yes. It's been great. <laughs> I'm sure we'll we'll find a, another reason to get together um sometime soon. This is a ever-evolving world um, in the cannabis industry, and particularly in extract uh, product manufacturing. So, um, thanks. And I, I know you shared last time, but for if listeners haven't heard our first conversation, um, like I did before, I want to give you the platform, let people know about um, Sano Gardens and anything else that you're doing uh, that you want to share with people. Yeah, sure. Um, the the world is different since we last spoke. So, um, you know, I uh, absolutely am still extracting and, um, you know, promoting Sano Gardens as a live resin product in Colorado, medical and recreational. Uh, you can check that out at sanogardens.com. Every test result for every product we've ever sold is right there on our website for you to read and reference anytime. Um, and as well as a list of where to find it, you can follow us on Instagram. You can also follow me on Instagram for a lot of extraction specific uh, type of content, um, you know, for people who actually work in the lab. Uh, I also teach a couple of different classes that are uh, live and in person. Those are a little more limited these days and a little bit more complicated than they used to be. So I would encourage you to go to my Instagram to stay tuned on that because anything I say today uh, might not hold up uh, in a in a recorded format based on the world that is happening. If there's currently tornadoes and we're not allowed to go outside, forget I said anything about those classes. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the exact same uh, position. I this year I planned on relaunching my workshops, which is where my book originally came from. Yeah, and I was I was so, with no tour, I, you know. I know I was so excited. I was like, all right, time to like get back in front of people and teach and. The reason I like to do my workshops is because they're in person and mimicked around, you know, I like engaging with people. So I really enjoy having small classes and really hearing people's questions and going through all this in person. And um, and like the science kit stuff that I was talking that I talked about that stems from the types of things I would do in my workshops, you right. know, experiments I would have people do. And so then coronavirus hits and I'm like, well, fuck, like what? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, like I miss those classes so much. I mean, there's yeah. only, you know, um, even this one-on-one is still only so personal compared right, to like, right. if we want to have a technical conversation and I wanted to show you something in my lab, I, this is not anything right. compared to you being right next to me and saying, well, hold on. And then you just have to be the one to hold the thermometer just to be very <laughs> sure that it is. Yeah. Oh yeah, that right. is, you know, like it, there's yeah. just something that is lost when we don't get to get together about it. So hopefully, uh, you know, we all keep our sanity in these, um, you know, very digital times because the human element is still the most complicated element of cannabis. Yeah. So we got to all stay very humble about our humanity right now and, and yeah. you know. Keep breathing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hold and find and find ways to keep having these conversations so mm-hmm. that you know we can all stay kind of connected and informed because uh, it's easier to react poorly um, to just mm-hmm. like text online and to take it out of context yes. compared to you know this kind of dialogue. So Absolutely. you know, talk about you know your your cannabis. Don't type about it. You know, talk yep. to somebody about it. Makes yeah. a big difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone that's been listening, thanks so much for tuning in for this almost two hours. This has been awesome. As always, if you want to learn more about Curious About Cannabis, go to CACpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, primarily active on Instagram. Um, And you heard me mention the Curious About Cannabis book. Um, You can find that on most um, online book retailers. And we, our publisher now has a store. So store.naturaledu.com has the Curious About Cannabis book on there, as well as um, a bunch of other um, sort of like science and philosophy educational stuff on there. So if you're interested in that, check it out. Um, But thanks for listening. Thanks so much, Murphy, for coming on. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Sounds great. Awesome. All right, everybody. Well, stay curious and take it easy. Bye-bye. If you want to learn more about cannabis, check out the Curious About Cannabis book on Amazon.com and other major online book retailers. 